global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by Eisner Amper, Hedgeweek Institutional Investor, Alt Credit Intelligence Fund Managers. Reading these publications rank Eisner Amper high for excellence in client service. Find out why. EisnerAmper.com slash excellence. Pfizer and Allergan agreeing to end their $160 billion merger, terminating the largest ever healthcare acquisition. Right now, Allergan shares are down nine tenths percent, while Pfizer shares are up nine tenths percent. Stocks are rebounding from a six week low in Europe, while U.S. stock index futures rise. S&P E-mini futures up three points. Dow E-mini futures up 24. Nasdaq E-mini futures up seven. The DAX in Germany down three tenths percent, while the CAC in Paris is up two tenths percent, and the FT100 up six tenths percent. Tenure Treasury down seven thirty seconds. The yield one point seven four percent. NYMEX crude oil up two point eight percent or a dollar one. COMEX gold down two tenths percent or two dollars ninety cents. The euro a dollar thirteen fifty five. The yen one ten point three three. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, thanks so much. With all that's going on in finance today, we have been remiss in not speaking to David Melpass about our monetary policy derby. Uh, David, Michael McKee has single handedly driven forward the debate on the joyous dot plot. And there seems to be a distinction between Mr. Williams of San Francisco and Mr. Bullard of St. Louis over the value, this fancy word that every, everybody uses, the efficacy of the dot plot. And Mike, jump in here because you're smarter at this than I am. Is a dot plot a value or is it just Yellen, Stanley Fisher, Bill Dudley that matters? Well, the people on Wall Street who do the investing say it doesn't matter anymore because nobody believes it. The um, the Fed people, are, I mean, you would use it for forward guidance, but the question, David, is does forward guidance have any efficacy anymore? Right. I'm skeptical of forward guidance because the, the, it's very hard to – no one has a really good crystal ball, including the Fed. And so as you say what your forward guidance is, really what you're doing is trying to describe a set of rules, that if the economy accelerates, we're going to hike. Let's say that would that would be a rule. Uh, and so – uh, uh, John Taylor, you know, has proposed um, m- more concrete rules on how the Fed could give g- guidance in concept of what it intended to do under certain circumstances. Instead, the Fed has go- gone to this soft kind of forward guidance. I don't think it's very useful, um, and uh, m- maybe they should try to wind down the dot plots. <laughs> how much uh, at tw- 25 basis points and uh even by uh, Fed admission, no more than uh, 50 more coming this year. Uh, how much is the Fed really affecting uh, the economy at this point and, and markets? Uh, is it just kind of the thing that people talk about because they don't have other things to talk about? Well, I, I I think it was a it was good for the Fed to get off the zero bound. The problem at the zero bound is the interbank market stops working. Banks don't lend to each other when the rate is zero, and we're seeing it in Japan. They used to have an interbank market that worked when uh, interest rates were at ten basis points, but it has completely stopped over the last month and a half, and so that's causing Japan a lot of problems. So as the Fed has hiked, uh, you begin to have the the 
markets begin to operate. And so I'm happy with the 25 basis points. I don't think it matters so much whether they hike more. Uh, the issue was to get off the zero bound. Now the real challenge for the Fed, though, is that all of their liabilities, uh, their margin, their liabilities on the margin are with the commercial banking system. I think they should diversify their liabilities to the money market funds, and that would take some of the burden off the economy. The, the Fed's putting this giant drag on the economy by borrowing only from banks, uh, and that's a bad idea. They should change it. They're overpaying the banks, 50 basis points, which is unnecessary. And they say that if they're going to, if they hike rates more, they're going to actually pay the banking system more for that money. 25 basis point hike means 25 basis points more for the banks. That doesn't make any sense. It's just not a workable concept. Tom, while we have uh, David here, can I uh, change the subject a little bit to, to politics? Please. Um, uh, Will you serve in a Trump administration? You're, 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 <laughs> no. he, he, he was telling us during the break that's not his life goal. <laughs> but you are a noted Republican economist, a one-time Senate candidate in New York. I'm curious. Polls show that taxes are not a big issue for people in the presidential race this year. They're angry about a lot of other things, but the level of taxes isn't as, you know, it's not the issue that it was. So why is the centerpiece of every Republican candidate, uh, massive tax cuts rather than other growth producing, uh, ideas? Well, I, I think you can get a lot of uh, of fuel out of tax cuts. We saw in 2003 when Bush proposed the tax cuts, the stock market took off and the economy jumped to 8% growth after the uh, proposal into the, say, third quarter of 2003. And so you could achieve that now. I think it's that the public is so mad about other things that it's drowned out the, the concern about taxes. But everybody fills them out. They have to hire advisors to do it. Uh, and on the corporate side, the U.S. has one of the highest tax rates in the world. So so uh, I think there's a lot to be said for tax reform. The question, though, is uh, in the current environment, people are even madder about other stuff. So that's what's dominating the campaign. Go ahead, Mike. Oh, okay. One more on, uh, on that subject. Uh, to, if you're going to cut taxes, you're either going to raise the deficit or you're going to have to cut spending <clears throat> a lot. And so far, the plans out there would require un politically unrealistic, shall we say, cuts in spending. So what do you see ahead? No, that's a really static view, Michael. Um, so if you if you improve the tax code, you're going to get more growth. Well, and no, wait, so, wait, wait. We're, uh, we're talking yeah. cuts as opposed to I mean, the, the cuts part. Obviously, if you do a, mass, a, a complete tax reform, that would be a different well, subject. Look, I, I'm a firm believer in lower rates on a broader base. When you have the rates high, then people avoid the activity that you're talking about. So as you lower the rates on a broader base, you get more growth. That's pretty clear. And I really think there could be some fruitful debate about that even as we go into November. If a Republican candidate makes that case that uh, lowering the rates on a broader base will get you more jobs, more growth, uh, the public would support that. But we should look at all the host of problems that's occurring. Uh, the small business portion of the economy has just p been paralyzed uh, over the last really eight years in the regulatory environment, the tax environment, and also I think the Federal Reserve environment, the bank regulatory environment, uh, mm -hmm. has, has stopped the actual job creation right. at the small level. So that's going to be, that needs to be at the core okay. of the campaign. David, thank you for a most interesting morning. David Malpass of Encima Global. Michael McKee and Tom Keene worldwide, coast to coast.
Bloomberg Surveillance. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Mercedes-Benz. Outstanding offers are in full bloom at your Mercedes-Benz Tri-State dealers. Take advantage of limited-time lease and finance programs on select models this spring season. Visit MBUSA.com for details today.